Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA Today. Certainly appreciate being a part of your day. We are going to have a lot under discussion on today's program. Joe Camp, the Director of Managed Programs with Comstock Investments, will be joining me here in just a moment to take a look at the markets. And in segment two, we're going to talk cybersecurity. FBI issued a warning, a private industry warning on Wednesday that agricultural cooperatives could be more at risk from cyber attacks. Mike McNerney of Resilience Insurance will be joining us to talk about just what that looks like if a cyber attack should happen to you or your firm or your grain buyer. In segment three, Michael Altman, the manager of federal and regulatory affairs with the Associated Builders and Contractors will be joining us to talk about a final rule that was pushed out by this administration earlier this week. This is the NEPA final rule. He's going to talk about just what that is going to do to infrastructure construction, permitting and planning processes as it goes into effect. And then finally, at the end of the show, we're going to check in with Max Fisher, chief economist at the National Feed and Grain Association, about the rail issues that they have been highlighting for the past several weeks. They've got a few proposed solutions, and Max will join us at the end of the show to discuss just what can be done about this backlog of rail that is occurring across the countryside. So stick with us. We're going to have a lot coming on today's show. But first, let's turn to the markets. We're seeing weakness in corn and soybeans today. To help us make sense of it, Joe Camp, Director of Managed Programs there with Comstock Investments, joins us. Joe, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Hi, Mike. Glad to join you. Let's talk about corn and soybeans today, Joe. We're seeing a little bit of a sell-off here early in the day. Is this just traders not wanting to be long heading into the weekend? That's a big part of it. I would say that. I think it's also a culmination of a couple of key issues that we're talking about heading into the weekend. And one, that's the weather forecast. As always, this point of the year, we're wondering about when the planters can get rolling in a bigger way. We've seen delays early in the season, we know, uh, but we will continue to track progress as we wonder if some of you know, the early wetness in the southern uh, delta, the southeast, even parts of the southern Midwest, if that can maybe get into some acreage decisions here later in the season. So we're watching that, maybe a favorable shift for the planning forecast in the week ahead, and then also maybe some buy the rumor, sell the fact type uh, reaction to what we saw in the morning export sales announcement, a big corn sale to China, again, over a million tons. We know that they've been buying and that they need the grain and and here that was confirmation but yet it's something that the speculators have been looking for and building up a long position now taking that profit as you mentioned ahead of a, a weekend and that order from China, 1.35, almost 1.35 million metric tons of corn being sold to that country. Joe, which marketing years is China looking to secure some corn? Both old crop and new crop and this is somewhat similar to what we saw occur a year ago. It was a little bit earlier in January and then in March that China was buying based off of what they saw in Brazil, which was a weather threat to that second Safrina corn crop. Uh, but what we see here now going forward is that there is still now concern about Brazil, Brazil's corn crop, but it's not as big as it was that concern, at least for now, uh, relative to a year ago. Still, though, we see, for example, the Brazilian real having rallied, other issues like these adjusted trade flows from Ukraine, et cetera, that now bring China back into the market here uh, at a time when maybe they could be missing if it wasn't for, again, the war that's going on in Ukraine and then some growing concerns about weather down there in the southern hemisphere. Joe, you mentioned the strength recently in the Brazilian real. For our listeners who aren't plugged into the currency exchanges, tell us what happens as the Brazilian currency strengthens. What does that mean for Brazil's exports? 
Yeah, what we see as the currency strengthens is that it diminishes the terms of trade for that country's exports. And so if a currency is stronger, that means an importer will have to spend more of their own currency uh, to get uh, the exporting currency, and so that's what makes the prices of those goods or commodities more expensive. And so we see that all the time, right, when we're watching the dollar. Recently, we've seen the dollar index strengthen to a multi-year high, a two-year high here, uh, based off of rising interest rates and all of that that bids up your currency uh, to a firmer rate. But we watch the dollar index against some of these major pairings like the euro or the yen, well, we could also watch it, as mentioned, against like the Brazilian real, and it can go the other direction as it has in the favor of U.S. exporters here lately. So many factors come together to determine prices. Joe, I want to talk about the soybean market, but I want to specifically talk to you about soy products first. We've been watching this rally in the bean oil market, well, for the better part of two years. But here in the month of April, July bean oil is up nearly $15 since April 1st. Joe, what's happening in the bean oil space? Yeah, that still seems to be the story of uh, the soy complex here, the oil. We usually talk about big soybean rallies being led by the meal, but that's flipped here, and it's because of what you mentioned, the processing demand for the oil based off of both both competition, uh, which are they're nearly interchangeable, right? The usage for uh, edible oils, soy oil, uh, which there's a key story on that, and then also uh, crude processing into fuel, renewable diesels, sustainable jet fuels, all those reasons why we're building new uh, crush plants here. Uh, but back to the edible oils, uh, news of uh, the day here on Friday talking about why the oil, uh, soy oil market would be up another 2% here. Uh, we're looking at the news of Indonesia, the world's top palm oil grower, a substitute, of course, to uh, soy oil, now banning exports temporarily because of a food inflation problem. So that continues to be a storyline, whether it's uh, 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 the substitute soy oil or palm oil or sunflower seed oil, right, which is cut off in Ukraine, there's uh, a supply issue for sure. Joe, how anxious are you getting about bean oil prices up here at this level? I mean, we are $12, $13 over the past high price that was set back in 2008 or nine. Is there a reckoning coming? Well, the question is always, when do we get to a price at which high prices are the cure for high prices or at which we have that so-called demand destruction? And the answer is, for now, we just haven't seen it. Why? Because we continue to rally and we continue to see uh, purchases in the cash market uh, at record levels and confirming that the big buyers like India, for example, they really, like China, uh, they need the uh, the oil for cooking, uh, for processing, uh, for all of these things, and they're competing for forward coverage even at these record levels to show you that at least for now uh, the the demand is very much there. It certainly is, and folks, we'll have a longer conversation with Joe Camp on this week in agribusiness. This weekend, we'll discuss the cattle market. Joe, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks so much. And stick with us, ladies and gentlemen, Mike McNerney, VP of Security Resilience Insurance, will join us when the show returns. Talk about cyber security and what could happen if you get hacked. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Experts agree, using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. 
<laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine. Because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thank you for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned, on Wednesday, the FBI Cyber Division sent out a private industry notification. This was an alert, and they note that ransomware attacks on agricultural cooperatives could potentially be timed to critical seasons. And folks, we are heading into planting one of the most critical seasons for agriculture. This got me thinking about the need for cybersecurity and just what that looks like here in 2022. To help us dig into this issue and prepare ourselves a little bit better. I'm very excited for our next guest. His name is Mike McNerney. He is a military veteran. He is an affiliate at the Stanford Center for International Security and Cooperation, and currently he's serving as the Senior Vice President of Security for Resilience Insurance. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Mike. Good to be with you. Let's talk first about cyber attacks broadly. Mike, are we continuing to see an increase in the number of nefarious hacks and cyber attacks on American businesses? So uh, unfortunately, yes, we are. The trend uh, has been going up the last couple of years uh, with some seasonality, of course, and does continue to look like it's uh, going to be going up here for uh, the foreseeable future, uh, which is a cause of concern for uh, industries like agriculture, but uh, really for everyone at this point. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they, they appear from an outsider's perspective to be kind of non-discriminant. Mike, are there industries or firms that are, are most at risk or are targeted by hacking collectives? That's such a great question. Um, I think you're right, Mike. Uh, you know, malicious hackers do tend to be opportunistic in nature. Um, that said, we have seen some information coming out of uh, the government, Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, like you mentioned earlier, uh, that indicates that some sectors may be more at risk right now than others, um, and the agricultural sector is certainly one of them. Uh, the reason for that uh, is, is believed to be because of the uh, seasonality of the business, right? So if you're a ransomware actor uh, looking to exact as, as much pain as you possibly can in order to get a victim uh, to pay up, you're going to try to try to do so strategically. And there's a thought that in the 
uh, planting and harvesting season, the agricultural sector may be uh, most at risk and most vulnerable. Uh, and so there is some likelihood that we may see increased activity right now uh, for those reasons. Mike, as we think about hacks and cybersecurity more broadly, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. For you and your position as, as Senior Vice President of Security, what are the mm -hmm. different types of hacks that can happen and which ones are, are the most uh, disruptive to a company's operations? So the word on everybody's lips uh, is ransomware has been for the last year or more. I think it will be the biggest you know, kind of peril, if you will, for uh, businesses in the coming year. Uh, and that is really what I think most people are, are really primarily concerned with. Um, that said, you know, a, uh, a hacker can't really damage your business if it doesn't uh, gain entry in some way, generally speaking. Um, and so there are steps that businesses can take to prevent themselves from being hacked and preventing that ransomware from taking hold uh, in the first place. What are some of those strategies? What can we do prophylactically, Mike, to, to shield ourselves from some of these hacks? Yeah, absolutely. I think the good news here is there are some very basic steps. I like to call them, you know, kind of cyber hygiene steps that companies can take that will make themselves far more secure. As I mentioned earlier, you know, many of these hackers are, are somewhat opportunistic. And if you make yourself a hard target, you know, they're going to move on to something that looks a little bit softer, a little bit easier to get into. So some of the things that, uh, that have been out there that we find to be very effective are, you know, simply keeping your systems patched and up to date, um, uh, turning on multi-factor authentication, which is kind of the security or access control, um, you know, segmenting your network so that if a, a bad actor gets inside, um, they're not going to be able to spread uh, and look for, look for targets within your uh, enterprise. Um, and then, you know, I think something that often gets overlooked is training your, your employees and your users on cybersecurity and cybersecurity best practices. And those simple steps really can go a long way to making yourself a much harder target for a, a hacker. All right. Well, let's say we, we don't do those things and my firm is <laughs> hacked. Mike, what happens? What's it like as a business owner coming in and, and finding you've been hacked? Can you walk us through those, those first couple hours? Absolutely. It can be really uh, concerning. It can be scary. It can be disorienting. I mean, picture yourself, uh, you, you, you leave uh, work Friday afternoon, you have a nice weekend with your family, you come back Monday morning, you find uh, all your systems are down, all of your computers are encrypted. Uh, you can't really communicate with anyone because you don't have anyone's phone number, right? Everything, everything's online. Um, and it can be quite uh, disconcerting. And then you see a, a ransom note, for example, pop up on your screen that says, you know, we have, uh, we've owned your system, uh, everything's been encrypted, and you need to pay us, you know, millions of dollars in, in uh, Bitcoin in order to get your systems back. Um, it can be very, very concerning. Um, and uh, those critical hours, especially when you're in, for example, uh, agriculture, but also construction, manufacturing, uh, all those critical hours where you're, or even days where your systems are offline, uh, can be very, very costly to your business. Um, and so this is a real concern for for uh, anyone that's hit with uh, particularly ransomware uh, attacks these days. Um, generally speaking, what uh, we like to recommend uh, is, uh, you know, frankly, there are, there are a couple of right things that you can do, a couple of things you can do to help yourself. Um, number one, uh, hopefully you have an incident response plan that you have uh, exercised. Hopefully that plan is also not on a, on a computer that has just been encrypted. Um, uh, so exercising that, dusting that off and exercising that could be a great first thing to do if you find yourself a victim of a, any hack, but particularly a ransomware attack. Um, you can also notify uh, law enforcement, particularly the FBI. Uh, they have resources uh, to help you. And then, you know, as an insurance provider, if you happen to have cybersecurity insurance, uh, it's always a good idea to, to reach out to your claims officer uh, and let that person know uh, of this incident because there are resources that uh, insurance companies can can provide to help you get back on your feet as well. And Mike, you mentioned this is with ransomware. I think the question that comes to my head, and I'm sure a lot of other business owners is, can I just pay the ransom? Is that legal? Is that solid advice? How do you handle this if that is the request from an attacker? Yeah, so, you know, speaking again, kind of as, as an insurance provider, um, that decision is up to the, uh, up to the victim, you know, generally speaking as a matter of, uh, preference or morality. I think it's, it's not usually the greatest thing to do, not something we like to encourage, but it is up to the victim. Um, 
uh, to make that decision. Uh, we are seeing uh, instances where ransomware actors uh, don't, you know, you'll pay them and then they'll come back and, and ask for more later. So it can be something that just encourages that, that bad behavior on their uh, behalf. But sometimes, look, Mike, sometimes there's, there's, there's no way out of it, right? Sometimes you can't, uh, you, if you don't have backups set up, if you don't have some other way to get your data, then it's basically either, you know, burn everything down and start from scratch uh, or pay. And unfortunately, many companies find themselves in that situation where they really have no good options. In terms of whether it's legal, that kind of depends. If the uh, ransomware actor is a sanctioned entity, like many uh, actors in Russia are, then it is, in fact, illegal to pay them, and, and you can't do that. But that's not always the case. Interesting. So, so Mike, how many of these hacks that, that have happened, these, these large-scale uh, ransomware hacks that have happened, get solved? Or, or some punishment is, is there for the perpetrators? Or, or do most of these folks just, just get away? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think most of the time these folks get away. You know, keep in mind, um, you know, these are, these are multi-billion dollar businesses, right? These ransomware actors, they're not, you know, uh, uh, kids sitting in their parents' basements. They are, they have uh, salespeople, they have customer success people, they have call centers. I mean, they, they are big, big multi-billion dollar businesses. They generally are also based in places where uh, the rule of law is weak. Um, and so that's why, again, we tend to see a lot of these organizations based out of you know, Russia, Eastern Europe, Iran, et cetera, where they're just really not going to face consequences. And there aren't very many good options for U.S. law enforcement to do that much about punishing them. So unfortunately, there is uh, not much uh, that can be done to punish them, but certainly not as much as, as I think we'd all like. So, Mike, how can companies be made whole in the event they are the victim of a, a hacker attack? So I think this is an area where, uh, again, insurance can be really helpful, right? Um, you know, I, I think step one is, of course, taking those cyber hygiene steps that I mentioned, right? Making sure your systems are secure, making sure that you are not that attractive target, right, for that, uh, that malicious hacker. Um, in the unfortunate instance where you are uh, breached and you do find yourself a victim of something like a ransomware attack, having a good insurance company um, uh, helping make you whole uh, is really uh, a really good option for a lot of companies to pursue. Well, I've certainly appreciated this conversation, folks. We've been talking to Mike McNerney. He is the Senior Vice President of Security at Resilience Insurance. Mike, thank you for talking with us today about this issue. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. And folks, stick with us here on AOA. When we return, we're going to dig into the final rule recently published for NEPA with Michael Altman of the Associated Builders and Contractors. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Okay, need a little more. Too much, little less, just about got it. And that's what it's like figuring out nitrogen. But with My Field Nurture from FS, your crop specialist can help with expertise and a vast array of tools to manage nitrogen all season. You'll get a plan for the right source at the right rates at the right times and in the right place to maximize ROI. So talk with your FS crop specialist to learn more about My Field Nurture. Right there, perfect. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the grain market trade here on this Friday morning, we see mixed to lower activity now. Quarter beans are liquidating, and that's pulling wheat futures with it. So we are moving sharply lower now in all the grains as we get into this first hour or so of trade today. And we saw some good export sales of corn and beans this morning. We saw corn sales to Mexico and China, as well as a soybean sale to Mexico, but that doesn't seem to be helping out this market. We have Fed Chair Jerome Powell making comments about 
The potential of raising interest rates in the month of May, fairly hawkish comments seen yesterday, and that's elevated fears once again on Wall Street that the Fed may overreact as it tries to tame inflation. The VIX rallying well above 23 here this morning. The dollar index posting fresh two-year highs near 101.1 this morning, while crude oil prices trading a bit lower as well, down $1.46 a barrel, 102.33. Really, the only ag sector that's holding up in the grain and oil seeds is bean oil, trading up sharply here today while the livestock complex is mixed to higher. Looking at numbers right now, May corn down 14 to three quarters, 784 and a half. December corn down 15, 723 and three quarters. May soybeans down 9, 1739 and a quarter. November down seven to three quarters at 1524. May bean meal down 850 a ton at 46040. May bean oil up 222 points at 8372. May Chicago wheat nine and a half lower, 1058 and a half. May Kansas City wheat down three quarters at 1137. May spring wheat down three and a half, 1148. May lean hogs 95 higher, 111.80. April feeder cattle up 37, 158.82. April live cattle down 57, 143.52. The Dow Jones down 340 points. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. Earlier this week, on Wednesday, in fact, the Biden administration issued some updates to NEPA. And NEPA is the National Environmental Policy Act. These are some updates that could have far-reaching impacts. And to help dive in to how this could, could affect all of us here across the country, joining me next is Michael Altman. He is the manager of Federal Regulatory Affairs with the Associated Builders and Contractors. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on today. As we prepare to discuss NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, Michael, what is NEPA and why is ABC watching this proposal? Sure. Um, so to just give some brief background on who ABC is, we're the Associated Builders and Contractors. We are a national construction industry trade association. We represent more than 21,000 members across all specialties within the construction industry and uh, firms that primarily work in the industrial and commercial sectors. Now, our job is to work to ensure our members can profitably deliver the work that helps uh, keep our communities across the country running. And to explain you know, how this impacts our members and really your listeners and a, a wide range of industries, I'll start with some background on NEPA. The National Environmental Policy Act was signed into law in uh, 1970 by uh, President Nixon. And the purpose of the law was looking at you know, increasing environmental impacts from industry, um, was a concern at the time, and this law directed federal agencies to consider these impacts when taking any major action. Uh, the law created the Council on Environmental Quality, a new uh, federal agency that promulgates these NEPA implementing regulations. These regulations provide kind of a framework for the uh, review, environmental review processes that each federal agency must design on their own for whatever major actions they're taking. For example, Department of Transportation looking at, uh, you know, infrastructure permitting. Um, your listeners might be familiar with, you know, more with the Department of Agriculture, Department of Interior, and some of their land use uh, environmental reviews. 
but just across a wide range of permitting, purchasing, and other actions. And really the interest to the uh, construction community is that this particularly impacts the construction of major infrastructure, roads, bridges, and other, um, you know, those large projects that are likely to have more of those uh, environmental impacts. And Mike, and, as we uh, think about infrastructure ahead. improvements right now, obviously that is top of mind with the passage of the, the massive bipartisan infrastructure bill this past year. With all of that being the case, the CEQ, the Council on Environmental Quality that you mentioned, they've updated their regulations. And there were three of them that they've really, they've really uh, increased, I guess, or they say they've restored these requirements. Number one, they say they've restored the requirement that federal agencies evaluate all the relevant environmental impacts of the decisions they are making. Michael, how does that work in practice? Sure, exactly. So um, what happened was in 2020, under the previous administration, the uh, CEQ undertook the first updates to the uh, the NEPA process since the law was passed in 1970. So it was much in need of streamlining and modernization. These processes had gone on for uh, years at a time and caused huge delays to projects. And one of the reasons for that is that the agencies were directed to look at both direct, indirect, and cumulative impacts, environmental impacts. The 2020 tried to simplify this by saying that agencies must look at reasonably close causal impacts that to make it you know simpler more based on what the project would actually directly cause but the final rule published this week undoes that streamlining effort and returns to forcing agencies to consider both direct indirect and cumulative uh, environmental impacts so michael just so i i make sure i'm on the same page here let's say i'm i'm a contractor and i'm building a stretch of interstate highway and i need to cross uh, a wetland nepa under the 2020 rule we would have had to have analyzed what is this interstate highway going to do to this wetland now under this new rule we're going to have to analyze not only what it would do to this wetland but what the downstream effects might be what the the spillover effects might be it's just a much bigger umbrella of coverage is that how you would think about it Exactly. And that, that's accurate. And that's what leads to these environmental impact statements that are drafted under NEPA and that take the agencies so long to approve that they start looking at those kind of downstream impacts that, and things that, you know, uh, climate change and things of that nature that are really hard to tie directly to that specific project and that lead to those delays. All right, so that's issue one. We're broadening the scope of this overreach. Issue number two, uh, the Biden administration says they're restoring the full authority of agencies to work with communities to develop and analyze alternative approaches that could minimize environmental and public health costs. Michael, what does that mean? Exactly. So that's looking at the uh, purpose and need section of a uh, environmental review. At the outset of these reviews, the uh, federal agency has to develop a document that states, you know, what is the purpose of the applicant's um, federal, you know, federal action they're seeking, the permit. So, you know, what are they looking to do? Are they looking to build a highway? Are they looking to, um, you know, use this uh, certain land for a new agricultural process or something of that nature? And then, you know, what is the need for that? What is the benefit of it? And under the 2020 rule, this was limited to the agency's statutory authority, you know, whether they're able to grant or deny that permit and considering also the goals of the applicant. That's, that was limited the scope of the purpose and need to those factors. However, under the final rule published this week, they can now consider a wide range of other issues, such as um, you know, the public interest, economic models, basically any factor that they think might um, be important for the project. So it's again, similar to the first issue, just really broadening the scope and widening the range of what uh, federal agencies are considering and therefore slowing down the process. Right. And allowing more voices to be heard, I suppose, is, is what they would argue that the, the positive of this is. The downside is, of course, that's that's more things to weigh as these projects get moved closer to completion. Michael, I wanted to check in with you on the final major change, which is that they say this has established the CEQ's NEPA regulations as a floor rather than a ceiling for the environmental review standards of federal agencies. Again, that is a, a lot of, of Washington, D.C. talk. Michael, what does this mean? in practice at agencies that are trying to get projects done. Yeah, so this is uh, one of the most uh, concerning and wide-ranging aspects of this revision is that under the 2020 rule, the CEQ had kind of reined in agencies' abilities to set their own uh, processes for environmental reviews. 
They tried to have a uniform, kind of as uniform as possible, despite the differences in different permits and issues that are being addressed, saying you cannot go beyond uh, CEQ's process of you know, assessing whether there's an environmental impact, developing an environmental impact statement, and making a final decision. You have to kind of stick to that process and not in, induce more requirements. Unfortunately, the final rule this week gets rid of that um, restriction and says that the NEPA regulations by CEQ are just the start, and that federal agencies, if they feel there's a need to add on to that, they are permitted to, and that can lead to, you know, confusing different requirements across different agencies, a lack of cooperation, and again, just adding more onerous and unnecessary requirements rather than kind of uh, constricting and having this more uniform, um, easily understandable process. So, Michael, as you've discussed these issues in all three cases, we see the Biden administration widening the, the range over which they are going to be supervising these big infrastructure projects. I understand that, that this is the final rule. Michael, this is now the law of the land. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. So the final rule was uh, officially published in the Federal Register on April 20th. So it has a effective date um, about a month from now that it will be a formally be in effect. Um, something to consider as we look at you know, how this is actually being implemented is that while the uh, previous administration, CEQ, was able to pass its 2020 uh, final rule that, uh, that to try to streamline things, there's actually was a hold on that rule when the new when the Biden administration came into office. So the federal agencies that CEQ had directed to make changes were still going through that process, and then that, that got frozen for a period of two years to 2023. So a lot of these streamlining things, uh, streamlining efforts, never really went into effect. And now with this final rule, these three provisions at least will not be going into effect. Michael, from your perspective there at ABC, what does this change to NEPA do for consumers, do for the country? How is this going to impact the infrastructure build-out that could be coming with this new funding? Yes, unfortunately, the impact of this is to head in exactly the wrong direction and exacerbate the problems we're seeing. As this infrastructure law, over $550 billion in new spending is coming out, um, you know, the messaging from the Biden administration, from Congress, was that we want to get this much needed investment out the door quickly. We want to um, streamline and expedite it. There was actually language in the infrastructure law around a, uh, a uh, effort called One Federal Decision to encourage uh, shorter environmental review timelines, to encourage interagency cooperation. But instead, this is going to slow down the rollout of this fund. It's going to also drive up costs. You know, when you're thinking about the inflation issues that the country has been facing, if construction costs, if other uh, administrative costs associated with all of this are going up, that means that we're going to see potentially more inflation. If you look at the supply chain issues already causing uh, difficulty with actual capacity needed to, to build out this infrastructure, this is just going to exacerbate all of these issues and, you know, unfortunately depart from a, uh, you know, bipartisan consensus around uh, getting these, all of these much needed investments out the door quickly. Indeed. Michael, for listeners who are keyed in on this and they want to learn more, where can they go to get more information? Yes, yeah, so the um, the main resource for CEQ is ceq.doe.gov. I would make sure to check that, check with your any trade associations you're part of, and just keep engaged for phase two. It's going to be a much more onerous and wide-ranging regulation. And just stay engaged. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the chance to uh, speak to your listeners. You bet, Michael. We'll be back to talk phase two here at some point in the future. In the meantime, folks, stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. 
But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide or post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here. Thank you for taking the time to join us on this Friday. Hopefully, we will be checking in with Max Fisher of the NGFA here in a moment. The National Grain and Feed Association, of course, here about a month ago, issued a call to action. On March 24th, they sent a letter to the Surface Transportation Board arguing that rail service was really starting to deteriorate, particularly for their folks throughout the countryside. And they've been able to force some action. There is a hearing coming up by the Surface Transportation Board later this month here in April. In fact, next week, that hearing is going to be happening. And hopefully, if we get Max Fisher on the line here, we'll talk about just what NGFA is hoping to see the Surface Transportation Board do once they get through that meeting. So we'll continue to to wait for Mike here, or excuse me, Max, as we uh, we await for his call. In the meantime, folks, it is Earth Day. And Earth Day is a time that a lot of folks around the world focus on environment, they focus on agriculture. And uh, this year in particular, there is a very strong focus on climate change. Across Europe right now, uh, today, in fact, climate change campaigners are kicking off a wave of protests. Reuters reports that uh, there are activists right now in Berlin, Warsaw, Brussels, uh, many cities in Germany. People are protesting outside government or embassy buildings. And they are saying that uh, they want to see Germany and Europe more broadly pull away completely from Russian crude oil, both because of the violence in Ukraine and the, the war that Russia has started over there, but also because they want to be green. And uh, these protests are happening. Of course, this is in Europe. In the United States, we also have some protests here on this Earth Day in New York City right now. In fact, as of this morning, I guess I don't have an update here more recently, but as of this morning, protesters from the group Extinction Rebellion had gathered in front of the New York Times printing facility. This is in Queens. And they are blocking the New York Times from being delivered. Uh, their argument is that the media doesn't discuss climate change enough which is kind of surprising for me to hear. It seems like it's almost everywhere here in the news, but they believe it does, they are, here's their quote. They say the media is, quote, failing to cover the climate emergency with the depth and frequency it warrants. And they have struck the New York Times as an example of somebody not covering it enough. Um, these these folks, uh, there, there were some clashes with police in New York City about this earlier. Uh, there was a blockade. The paper is getting out. They're not being terribly successful at stopping the rollout of the New York Times. The paper said that they were able to get delivery started at about 530 this morning, though they did note that a few deliveries were late getting to their destinations. But it, it does sound like people are going to be able to read the New York Times today, despite the efforts of uh, <clears throat> Extinction Rebellion. While we're thinking about crude oil and energy prices more broadly in the context of the environment, we can also think about them in the context of the bottom line. And one of the things we have discussed so much on this program here over the past three or four months is the massive run-up in energy costs. And we have seen this be priced in the markets. We have seen a lot of folks scrambling, trying to secure their energy needs here, particularly as this war in Ukraine encourages the international sanctions against Russia. And we've talked for a little bit on this program as well about inflation and how inflation gets cooked in to economies, and we're starting to see that develop. There's news right now that long-term gas deals over in Europe, so these are European countries that have previously bought gas shipped via pipeline from Russia, they're now looking around at the rest of the world, and they're looking at importing liquefied natural gas. And because of the tight supply situation right now, because of the elevated prices of all the things in the energy sector at the moment, 10-year contracts for liquid natural gas supplies for 2023 and later in delivery are being priced about 75% higher than where those prices were in 2021. So even though we can look ahead and we think, oh, summer's coming, of course, that will reduce the demand on natural gas as we rely less on heat, and that should, should bring the price of natural gas down. Trends like this and stories like this where we're seeing long-term contracts being signed at prices well above the current market level 
Those are indications that this inflation is going to be here with us for quite some time because now all of those input energy purchasers are going to be able to work their bottom line, work their balance sheet against this higher LNG price. And you can bet if they need to raise the cost of their finished product in order to cover the higher cost of this liquid natural gas, well, that's probably exactly what they are going to do. So we will continuing be continuing to watch this story. This is an ongoing issue, and it is going to be one that is, is, is going to take some time to play out. This inflationary spike, folks, the longer these elevated prices stick around, the longer we can work the impact of these elevated prices into our company's bottom line, into our markets, the stickier these price levels become. And that stickiness is developing right now. Before we let you go for the day, let's just take a look over at the value of the US dollar. Joe Camp mentioned that this morning as we were discussing the markets, and we have seen a lot of strength here in the value of the dollar. Joe mentioned this focus that we're seeing on rising interest rates, this focus that the Biden administration is saying that they are trying to take a focus and tackle inflation. All of those things are encouraging global investors to move their money into dollars. And here over the past several weeks, we have seen the value of the US dollar index climb rather precipitously for something as stagnant as the dollar index. Typically, we see a few moves, we see a few spikes, but I just pulled up the three month chart of the dollar index back at the start of January, we were trading a little above 95. Now the dollar index is at 101. Folks, if the value of that dollar climbs, it gets harder to export US agricultural goods. All of these stories we will continue discussing next week here on AOA. In the meantime, folks, we hope you have a fantastic weekend, and we look forward to talking to you again on Monday with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services breaking down today's Catalan feed report, as well as Jackie Fatka on policy, and John Baranek will give us a weather update. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.